marketing departments and agencies are realizing the power of relatable marketing. Like we want to feel like we could be in the situation of the person in that ad or commercial or print space, right? Like you you just want to feel like you can connect to it. And the only way to do that is through representation. And so that's where I started to realize, okay, this has to be the first layer of the brand that we're building. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guest on today's episode of the Inspire podcast is Jen Harper. And Jen is the founder of uh, Cheekbone Beauty. And Jen, welcome to the Inspire podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to speak with you. Look, maybe a bit of backstory. Tell us about Cheekbone. What is the business that you've created uh, and what does it stand for? It's a cosmetics business. So our mission and vision is helping every Indigenous kid on the planet see and feel their value in the world. Where we're crafting sustainable cosmetics using Indigenous wisdom. Um, but that didn't, you know, that didn't pop out right away. I, I, always, I always say that took quite a few years to, to like craft and, and really hone in um, on, on who we are. I always knew the why, like I knew from the bottom of my heart, from like the pit of my belly that I was only doing this. I was only starting this business because I wanted to empower indigenous kids. Mm. And, you know, there's so many reasons why, I mean, any one of us could turn on the news. um, And I mean, specifically this year, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, I think the tragedy um, and the pain that comes from our communities is now evident to the rest of the world. Um, many our communities already knew that that existed and was happening, but nobody would believe believe them when they would tell them what was going on at residential school. So it really started um, this journey for me to learn who I was and where I came from. And then I always had this desire since I was a very little girl to want to connect with my indigenous roots and and do something um, to be a part of my community. Mm-hmm. When you're of a mixed identity, it's really, really hard. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a 45-year-old woman now who's a mom of teenagers, I look back and I'm thinking, why, like, you know, you try to analyze why things are so difficult. And I think it's just the struggle with with one society puts pressure, so much pressure on, on all, all of us to, mm-hmm. to do things and be things, but just being uh, half white and half Ojibwe, uh, I found myself always battling of where I fit in in the world. And then um, seeing stereotypes and I think growing up feeling like I knew there was reasons why, why people did not like native people. I, I, I didn't know the answers. Um, but I knew there was differences and I would be treated differently for how I looked. And there was a lot of assumptions made, um, you know, fast forward. I obviously figured that out as an adult, what that all meant. Mm -hmm. So it actually created like quite a bit of, um, trauma and problems throughout my entire life. I battled alcoholism for many, many years. 
I got sober in, in 2014 and then literally had this in crazy dream to build cheekbone beauty. Um, but my, so what's interesting, and I, I haven't even mentioned this yet. My work life experience had nothing to do with right. the cosmetics industry or the beauty industry. I know it's amazing. And, you know, and we'll, we'll dive back into it in the moment, but I think your story is just, you know, and this is, it's such an amazing story because, you know, people sometimes um, don't know what the term intersectionality means. And, you know, the idea that you're facing uh, challenge, you face challenges in your life, as you pointed out from various, you know, your background, uh, but, and also as a woman entrepreneur, you know, who had to, you know, raise capital and grow the business uh, to have overcome all of that. And and not only built a, a business that's growing, I know we just talked that you're about to be in Sephora. Um, you've been on Dragon's Den. You've had all these successes, but you've done it in a way that's authentic to who you are. And I think that's that's so impressive. So kudos for for how you've created this business that's a reflection of your life life experiences. Mm, thank you. And, and now you mentioned though that and I think that is interesting. We should start there that your life experience was not in beauty. <laughs> that you uh, you spent what twenty years in the food industry. So tell tell me a bit about that and. Like your pre, because I know you kind of had this epiphany you mentioned in 2015, but take me back, you know, what were your, your time, uh, what was your time in the food industry like and how, if any, did it prepare you for what you're now doing? Yeah. So I spent the first half of my career in the hospitality side of things. So really working uh, for boutique style hotels and restaurants in in the Niagara region. And what I learned from those roles is really interesting because it was so much about detail and customer experience, which of course, for a a consumer goods brand, that's just like all we do all day long is trying to figure out how to create experiences and connect with our customers. And so I really, you know, uh, was grateful for that experience and some great leaders, uh, women leaders, especially in that industry, um, that taught me the importance of detail and customer relationships, and then transferred all of those skills into a sales and marketing career in the food distribution sector. So with Cisco, which is like a broad line distribution company, and then you know, finit- and I had left Cisco to go work for us just specifically seafood. So still had the same customer and client relationships um, that I had had for for the four years at Cisco and built on to being, you know, some 12 year relationships with some of the chefs and restaurant owners and hotel owners and, and um, uh, food buyers from, from many of the, the places that I uh, worked with and just really learned um, so much about, you know, it was about providing something for someone in their everyday work life. So hopefully to provide a solution for them Mm -hmm. and really how that really relates to entrepreneurship where we can't just, I think, make people buy something that they don't need. There does have to be some kind of a solution to it. And so it really helped as I was building the brand that we didn't want to be just another lipstick brand, right? Like there was so much more to what we were trying to accomplish. And, and I, and, you know, if someone says, what was the problem you were trying to solve? It's actually a really, really big one. And it's, it's this lack of representation within the beauty industry for indigenous faces. So our goal is so that kids, indigenous kids, don't feel left out. They feel seen, they feel valued. They, they feel like they have a spot. Right. And so during that 20 year period, when you were in hospitality and food, did you, were you kind of gaining awareness of that lack of representation? Was it something 
that you began to know this? No, no. To be perfectly honest, I, I don't think I was paying enough attention um, to what I'm doing today, of course. But I really, I felt such a, a missing piece in myself. Like I honestly really? did. Because I would pretend, I'm, I'm very open and honest about this. I wouldn't even tell people that I was Ojibwe for many, many years when it's really quite obvious. If you look at me that I yes, have- we met, we met virtually, <laughs> yes. And so why I, not? Why, why wouldn't you? <laughs> it was just that idea. I knew that I carried so much shame because of the stereotypes that were related to Indigenous people. And uh, I didn't know how to even heal from that myself or wrap my own mind and heart around it. It took me a really long time. And it wasn't until sobriety that I was actually able to heal those wounds. I'm so sorry that um, you had that experience, but also it's great to hear that you were able to kind of now merge what would you say? You know, be merge your authentic identity with your public persona. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was when I finally accepted myself for who I was, and this is like this is like some serious internal work happening. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. This is this years is of therapy, right? Yeah, I love my therapy too, but it's uh, <laughs> it, it's work. <laughs> it it is. It's a ton, and but it's so important so that you can truly be the authentic person. Um, and and be true to yourself. And when I finally accepted the both parts of my identity, and I realized, you know, one of my favorite quotes is by Maya Angelou, where she talks about being nothing and everything all at the same time, and that we really just like we are who we are, and that's that's just the it's period. Like there's no well maybe or just because, and no, it's we are who we are, and so I am an indigenous Canadian woman. That's who I am. Right. Whereas, um, and, and I'm allowed to identify like that. So when you had that kind of epiphany and you made peace with that, how did your life change? It changed in the sense that, um, I think when you can stand in your space and you gain that inner confidence, uh, it helps you see how really unimportant. So this is a real kind of switch. It's a real, it was a real lesson in humility, how really unimportant um, those things are. And it's that, it's that outside sources that kind of make us feel like we never fit in or belong in spaces, right? Um, or in ourselves. But when I finally accepted, this is who I am, this is where my family comes from, and all of that is okay, because that's what makes me, um, I am enough white to be white, and I'm enough uh, Ojibwe to be Ojibwe, but you grow up, and, and, you know, it's not necessarily a child's fault, you know, you if I go to the, when I went to the res when I was little, I, I would never be, you know, native enough for the other kids, right? And uh, in school here, where I grew up, I would never be white enough for all of the the white kids. So it was like not feeling like you knew where you fit in, and right. and that's uh, it is it's a it's a big challenge for people of mixed race identities. Soon after you then started the business, so maybe take me through that. How did you go from that that moment in your life to? creating a business you've never been involved in before. Yeah. So, um, that would, uh, I would say like that, none of that healing part of accepting mm -hmm. myself and being who I am didn't happen until after sobriety. So sobriety is definitely like that critical inflection point mm -hmm. of, of me discovering myself. And then also me 
discovering entrepreneurship and what it would mean to try to build a business. And so that happened uh, in January of 2015. I literally had this crazy dream. <laughs> like, uh, and it's not really crazy. It was just a very simple dream. I, I don't dream a ton and remember them. I know some people always say they have these. Well, I, I rarely remember dreams from like a deep sleep, but I popped out of bed this night and there was these native little girls. This is the dream. They were covered in lip gloss. And what I remember the most about it was their joy and laughter. Huh. So jump out of bed, grab my laptop. And you still remember the dream today? It sounds like it's, it's, Kind of oh yeah, yeah, and, and just they, this that part where it's like yeah. they're giggling in joy and the mess they've made of themselves because <laughs> lip gloss is sticky and tacky, and so um, I like grab my laptop and I like we're talking about someone who's not an entrepreneur, never thought of entrepreneurship, working my full time job in seafood, but that night I just started writing out this idea. I'm like, okay, make lip gloss, start a foundation in my grandmother's name. Um, and try to get scholarships to indigenous kids. Like these were the things sort of in this box that I had checked that like, this would be a great idea. Um, And then literally for, oh my goodness, 2015 and 2016 for almost two years, like literally read, I don't know, a hundred books on entrepreneurship business and indigenous history you curated your own like mba in entrepreneurship (laughs) like literally every like and my kids were still probably what um oh my goodness nine and and 12 at this time so you know this is only at nights and on the weekends when i had some free time but would just absorb myself in learning about other entrepreneurial stories and then Cause I, to be truthful, I probably didn't even know what that word meant until I started this journey. And at the same time was learning about indigenous history, the TRC, which is the truth and reconciliation mm-hmm. commission. They put out that final report in 2015. So mm-hmm. I remember reading through that and being just like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It's like that total aha moment in someone's life mm-hmm. when they understand and all the dots are connected as to, mm-hmm. I knew why. I had just lived my life with this shame and trauma because, uh, you know, the more research I did, it actually has a term. It's called generational trauma or transgenerational trauma. And the impact that the residential school had on my grandparents was literally passed on my father, my aunts and uncles, and then passed on to me, my, my siblings and my cousins. And we still carry this to this day. Um, what's the beauty about trauma is that it, you can have generational healing hmm. um, at the same time. And so that's what I say we do now at Cheap Bone Beauty. We want to be a part of generational tr- uh, healing and, and transformation. Because you had this dream, you start to research the business possibly, you start to, you know, this report came out. Did you, did that kind of intensify your belief that this was something you had to do? Yeah, one, 100% for sure. Um, and then, you know, I've talked, I've, I've, uh, shared that I I think a critical piece in what I know now as to why I didn't give up, because there's a lot of reasons. The more you learn, number one, about the beauty industry and just the (laughs) the high level of competitiveness and how many, there's literally like 18,000 new brands a year. You're you're like, Like, this is not a great, you know, on the surface, (laughs) it's kind of like opening another, you know, restaurant, right? Like this. Yeah. Like, why would I do this? You always say, you know, I always look at someone and say, you know, what possesses someone to open a restaurant when we know the, the, you know, they fail at such a high rate, the cost, 
And so, yeah, I guess this goes back to what possessed you to go into a business that has a high degree of competitiveness. Um, you had no experience in that sector, no experience as an entrepreneur. So, yeah. So how did uh, you learned a lot, but you were undaunted. Yeah. And this is this like crazy moment of like me deciding, okay, if I'm going to do this, it better be with something that I love mm. and adore and feel connected to. And mm-hmm. I've always been a, a huge product junkie, if you will. Like I love, I could hang out in a Sephora or a beauty store and just for hours touching and playing with products. Like I'm, it's right. just something. And so that was part of the reason, despite seeing how competitive it was. And then secondly, I just saw Indigenous youth online and you know you watch markets and you pay attention Mm -hmm. and this is what they love like Mm -hmm. so many of our community uh young women uh are just uh, so obsessed with beauty and makeup and products and so I wanted to connect and I felt like this would be if it's something I love it's something they love Um, And it's this place where representation, this is when I was having the realization, the more research I did, where you could see it was just missing. There was none. And we know, like, if you listen to Black beauty founders for years, Mm -hmm. there is, there had never been, it's always that Eurocentric look that was being sort of portrayed in all forms of media um, for all of us to sort of try to achieve. But it's really hard to relate. And now I think marketing departments and agencies are realizing the power of relatable marketing. Like we want to feel like we could be in the situation of the person in that ad or commercial or print space, right? Like you just want to feel like you can connect to it. And the only way to do that is through representation. And so that's where I started to realize, okay, this has to be the first layer of the brand that we're building. And I think what's so powerful is that it's your own story, you know, and bringing your own representation of your indigenous culture into your life and then seeing that others need to see representation. I mean, not totally analogous, but the same idea of being proud of who you are. Exactly. Having having, um, people who look like you. And we know, I mean, my firm does a lot of work in the diversity, equity, inclusion space. We know that representation, and most of our work is with big companies, representation at the top matters because then people can say, I can see myself there. There are, There's a path to it for me. And so, yes, it, it's so critical. And even, you know, I'm sure a whole other piece of representation is you as a successful Indigenous female entrepreneur, you are a standard bearer for your community as well. So, okay. So, so you had the idea, you said representation matters. This is an area. How did you start the business? So a learning, so this is where I, I think my career in food really helped. I learned early on at Cisco, a lot of our Cisco branded items mm-hmm. were actually manufactured by McCain fries hmm. would be the same. And then we would put Cisco branded fries in the same boxes as McCain <laughs> French fries. And then lo and behold, McDonald's does the same thing. And, uh, you know, you learn that a lot of manufacturers are making things for different companies just under branded differently. Right, okay. So I learned that the beauty industry is exactly the same way. It's always hmm. operated like that. There's like five conglomerate beauty companies that own everything that we see on our shelves. So we could walk in a, in, in a store and think we see 
60 different brands when really they're owned probably by a five, right? But they're just, everything is branded differently. Are you you telling me that all those different lip glosses I bought for myself actually from the same company? You're you're breaking my heart. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, some of them probably, yes, not all. And then there is, you know, there's indie brands now, which is, this is sort of the the space that we fall into that are doing things differently and bringing sort of a new thread and flavor to the industry. But learning that early on Mm -hmm. was the only way, like that was the barrier to entry or the bar Mm -hmm. to enter the beauty space is actually quite low because you can find a manufacturer that's already doing the work and just really slap your logo on a product and put it out to market. Now, having said that, it's not necessarily, you don't control formulations, you don't control packaging. Those are things, but I knew it would be the only way I could afford to test in the market to see if the brand had any legs. And that's literally how we started. And so shortly, it was like a year a year and a half into it when I was like, okay, enough. I need to start making things the way we want to make them. We want to package things the way we want to package them. Mm -hmm. What are the next steps? And then that was about another, you know, incredibly. And now this is the hard part when we, when we, when we started to develop and create our own formulations Mm -hmm. with our contract chemists and look for Mm. different contract manufacturing and source our own packaging, develop our own packaging like that. This is where the real hard work has come in, but has been the most um, beneficial and really helped set us apart from what everyone else is doing in the beauty space. So if we're going to be here now that I know what I, you know, as limited as to what I know about it, I know we want it to be different. And that's where this idea of a sustainable journey began that we want to create and use products. We use a concept called life cycle thinking. So like from the beginning of a harvesting of an ingredient to the end of the life of the product, which includes the packaging, where is it going? We do not want anything to end up in a landfill. So how do we prevent that? How, how does a brand become more responsible to their consumers and to the planet? Really at the end of the day, what can we do to ensure um, that we're not leaving a negative impact, that we're leaving less and that we're actually doing things to, you know, be carbon positive and, and, and all of those things that really, really matter in, in 2021 in order to um, protect all the things that matter to all of us. And so that's, we just got super serious about raw ingredients. Um, and so last year we built a lab we hired a full-time chemist. We we just received another IRAP grant for some real, I can't speak to like the project because there's a lot of IP involved, sure. but like it's pretty epic in the, you know, our goal is to use waste as ingredients yeah. and, and trans, trans, <laughs> transform waste into raw ingredients for cosmetics products. But yeah, so we're just at the beginning. We're scratching the surface. Uh, if the world has just been introduced to our brand, they're, they're going to see so much more of it. And we're going to be part of, changing how the beauty industry even operates. It's so it's responsible for like an insatiable amount of plastic waste, Um, not to give plastic a bad rap because in some cases it's actually more sustainable. So the more I've learned about the entire issue of sustainability is there is no black and white, one solution fits all. It's so nuanced and so gray. So it's really important that 
you know, as a founder, like I can have conversations about just the waste management industry and how much of a fallacy recycling even is for all of us as, as humans right now. Uh, but I won't get into that with all of you in your community. But so these are the things that really, really matter. We're not here to greenwash. If you follow us on Instagram or TikTok or any we'll, of our we'll social, your, your socials in the, the, um, the we tell the truth and we tell you where and how and why we make choices about packaging and raw ingredients. Tell me what has been the greatest success you've had in that and what's been your greatest setback? Oh, wow. Um, so I don't just find success, maybe like a lot of other entrepreneurs. Not look, yeah, I'm not looking at like a spreadsheet or numbers, but it's really about the connections and yeah. just like the, you know, the direct messages or emails we get from our community when someone finds our brand and they tell and share stories with us about how it's impacted them uh, in such positive ways. I find that so moving um, and kind of, I can't even believe it myself. Sometimes it's really strange, like got an email from an adopted mom, a mom who adopted a native little girl. She was 10 years old. We always use all indigenous models and on the postcard, was five indigenous models and the mom who adopted this little girl was white. So the mom ordered our product. The little girl has gone to bed that night and the mom sees the postcard like clutched in her hand. Um, And then like asked her and she's like, mom, they all look like me. Like she just like, she felt it's a piece of paper, but like, I guess to, to her, it was so much more. Right. And just like, people would think we're just lipstick, but we're really so much more. We're this, we're this space, we're creating a space where our kids actually feel seen and feel like they matter. And that, you know, that's the mission that's always been there. And it's really about empowering them and giving um, an, an opportunity to see themselves in something that's never been done before. And I know you've also, you know, I know you've, you've raised or made contributions of, of profits to worthy organizations. You must, you must really be um, appreciated in Indigenous communities for all that you've done. Is it, has it been a, a good kind of connection with, with the communities that you found from this? So we support so many different organizations and platforms. Mm. Um, and it's definitely a big part of the work we do. I think it's over $150,000 now that we've been able to uh, donate in cash and in kind to back to communities. And I mean, I, I, I don't, I, it's funny. I don't feel like anyone's saying yay for all the stuff <laughs> you've given back. Like I don't get those emails. Um, and we don't get those emails, but I feel like it's just part of who we are that giving. Well, that's why so, you do it. <laughs> and yeah, like I said, from the beginning, I wasn't going to get in this business just to start another lipstick brand. Yeah. I wanted it to be different. We've always had that layer of giving. And then as I was learning about my culture, like the idea of success, mm-hmm. like this is an indigenous teaching um, is not defined by what we attain for ourselves. It's by what we give back to our communities. And so I learned that as I was building the business and I was like, oh my, like that was me learning about Mm. my culture, who I am and where I come from. And I really felt like that's the kind of person I've always wanted to be. And I think that's beautiful. And I think what would the world look like if we were all like that, if we all weren't just trying to amass bank accounts, wouldn't it be so much different, right? So (laughs) I, I love that teaching. And I think it's, 
uh, I think there is like, I mean, there's lots of uh, incredible teaching lessons about how much more happiness there truly is in giving Mm -hmm. than receiving. Right. And so I feel like that's just a part of who we are as a brand and we're glad to do that. But I, my personal philosophy, if I am allowed to interject, this is, (laughs) I don't believe throwing money at anything is how we solve the problem. I I think it's that teach a man to fish and he'll Mm -hmm. eat for a lifetime. And so as a sort of I guess, leader of a brand who's here to empower Indigenous youth, showing them what is possible with entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. by way of cheekbone beauty is our way of doing that. And then by offering resources and help Mm -hmm. and and showing Indigenous youth that you can build a business. It's Mm -hmm. about giving back, right? It doesn't have to be about the take, take, take all the time. So I guess there's a lot of layers to that, but I feel really, um, I feel really, moved to show them that what's possible. Well, I think it's really a great model that you're living it yourself, you know, that that, that demonstrates what's possible. Um, and congratulations for all you've achieved. One thing I want to ask you too, you know, you've had all the success, you've, you've scaled, you've gone from, you know, an, uh, this dream in 2015 to a thriving business. What's been your biggest setback along the way? Hmm. There has been I know it's entrepreneur many. to entrepreneur, right? <laughs> it's it like, never... which one am I going to tell you about? Because there's lots. So I think my biggest, what I felt like was a setback has been actually the driving force behind the business today. And that's really early on, just before launching. My brother BJ took his own life and he grew up in our First Nation community and worked with youth. And I remember talking to him so much about this idea. Obviously we didn't have a name for cheekbone, but I told him, I'm like, yeah, we're going to make lip gloss. And then I want to start this, this thing where we're like going to collect, get, take money and give it back to something. And I was like, Mm. really stuck on this idea of a scholarship back then. And he was like blown away. He'd like, I'd never heard of anyone starting a business that was about giving back. And he's, and he's the one who told me about that teaching. He's like, that's, that's what our people do. They've always done that. And then he talked to me and I would ask him so many questions because there's a, there's a big issue with cultural appropriation when it comes to our communities. And so Mm -hmm. for sure, I wanted to never misrepresent or, portray or use um, our culture as uh, inappropriate in any way. And so his feedback on that was huge. And so as, as painful, I can tell you, this is the biggest pain and loss I have felt in my entire life, but it is literally this constant companion that drives this idea of success for indigenous kids every single day. And so as much as that felt like a huge uh, setback in, in, an enormous um, thing that I didn't know how I was going to feel at the time, like I would ever overcome it. Mm -hmm. The pain never goes away. I know anyone who would lose someone in death understands that the, but we just learned to live with it differently. And I get to live with uh, it by being in his words, like running through my mind almost every day, or especially on those days when it's a bad entrepreneur day. Um, And he just said, Jen, our kids need hope and they need help. And what you are doing is going to be great. And and so that sentence really runs through my mind on a regular basis. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm sure he'd be very inspired and proud of what you're achieving today and how mission-driven it is. yeah, but I can't imagine, but um, yeah, kudos for turning that that loss into kind of a driving voice for you. 
the last thing I want to ask you about, Jen, you know, as you, you've had all the success, but you've also, you know, like no entrepreneurial journey is easy. You've been able to, you know, build a business, raise capital, convince big retailers to take you on. I'm just listening to you talk. I hear you talk about your vision, your mission. So communication, like if you define, you know, the three qualities or three principles that you lean into to really be this inspiring entrepreneur, what would they be? It's so important to remove ego in every situation mm-hmm. and as much as possible. And, and um, I firmly believe that, that everyone knows something that you mm-hmm. don't know. So you can learn from anybody and anything, no matter where they are in life, they have something to teach you. And so mm. I think I have, to, I have to make sure that I stay in that space. Second, you talked about when we when we first spoke was consistency. Talk talk about how does consistency come into communication? Well, so you know, I think when you're trying to share a message with an audience, we can't confuse them. And you have children, I have children. You got to be like a consistent parent, or yes. we're really gonna. It's 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 confusing watch, for people. Watch for weakness. <laughs> yeah, so true, and you know, I really believe, and I, this is true. I have no greater skills than any other person that wants to start a business or try a new adventure or work on an idea. It's just, I know that I just woke up every day and I did it every single day. I did it every single day for the last five years. And that's what it is. It's no one grandy, you know, some, someone on one of our team calls today said, okay, once the four happens and that's it, then we're done. Like we made it. I'm like, (laughs) no, no. Like we can't think like that. Um, it's always growing. Like there is no one big thing that gets you to the next spot. It's just that daily consistent efforts. And so I think that everyone has that ability and, and that's, I, I think that's just such a great message. Cause I used to think that I had to have this skill that was like superhuman. No one else had, that was the only way I'd ever accomplish anything. And then I've learned that that is not true. And, and your last quality that you talked about was tenacity. I, I know for an entrepreneur, tenacity is, is critical. Well, be, like a rejection is a big part of life. You're going to hear so many no's. You're going to have so many people mm. that maybe even laugh at your idea or your approach. Um, but you have to have the ability just to pick yourself up and keep trying. And so what, never what was the toughest up. rejection that you dealt with? Sephora in 2018. Mm. I sobbed for like a day. I didn't make their accelerator program, uh, but some brands that have made their accelerator program aren't going in their stores. So like, why was I crying? Right. Yeah. Well, you didn't give up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, having that tenacity that stems from the purpose, I think that's really, you know, I think about your story and your dream and your commitment to doing something more than, as you said, more than just making a, another beauty brand that made money. What yeah. I through this whole conversation is it was that purpose that has driven you in through the ups and downs, through the challenges, through the adversity to keep pushing forward. Uh, and so it, it seems to me like tenacity comes from that. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it was definitely built from a life full of trauma and pain and lots of suffering. But if you, if I was to give up, it would have looked completely different. Well, I appreciate that you did it. And I appreciate you sharing your story with me, Jen. 
It's thank uh, you so much for listening. It's uh, it's powerful. And um, if people want to know, I know you, you're active on social media. Where can people follow you? And where can they buy your products? So we are at Cheekbone Beauty on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, and just Cheekbone Beauty on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, we can be found at cheekbonebeauty.com right now and soon to be sephora.ca um, as of September 21st, 2021. And Very exciting. <laughs> yeah, really exciting. And just, you know, it's only because of the community that we've built. If you, uh, follow our social medias, you'll see our Instagram community is the most active and it's just so supportive. Like this is an incredible group of human beings that, you know, I couldn't, this is not me. I have, I'm I'm fortunate to have people that support this now by way of being working at Cheekbone Beauty. But then the real, like, I think heart behind the brand Mm -hmm. is our community. And it's been so incredible, which makes up mostly non-Indigenous people, believe it or not. When I look at, when we look at the data. The ally community has embraced it. Yeah. And it's just this love, like, you know, they've seen all the wrongs that have happened and they want to be here to help us write that new narrative they want to they're they're part of this generational healing that's happening and i'm grateful to have them because i would not be able to handle any of this without them well thank you for for sharing that congratulations all you've done i know the journey will continue i know it's there's going to be bumps but in talking to you you know the the clarity of purpose the mission that you have and your tenacity i know you're going to do great things so thanks so much jen wish you all success Okay, thank you. What a story. I mean, just such an inspiring entrepreneur. And what I took away is the power of conviction, power of vision, and the willingness to uh, really drive forward and inspire others through that. And I think what Jen's done so well was give representation to those in the Indigenous community who did not have it and um, to create something that... um, people are responding to so check her out on her social feeds you can purchase her cosmetics at uh, sephora among others and um, connect with her on linkedin she's a great story next time on the podcast we have our last episode of 2021 hard to believe casper wong joins me and casper is a tech executive but he joins to talk about representation in cycling he's created a, a cycling team designed to give people of color a place that they can feel included and welcome and he talks about some of the challenges he faced joining uh, cycling which is a very white male sport and his story really illustrates why representation matters so uh, great story and i hope you'll tune in for that episode until then rate review the podcast it helps us get found and may all your words be inspiring